0: Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teachers. Welcome to Palm Sunday, everybody. Good to be with you. We are so close to Easter now. You know, Jen talked about before how she thinks Easter is her favorite over Christmas. Christmas is, if you if you want to connect deeply with the culture through Christianity, Christmas is really the last time. But in terms of where meaning resides, Easter is where it's at. Easter is the most important celebration for the Christian church. So if you're new in the room and maybe Christianity is new to you or you're online, you just check us out. Just know that this is the most special Beautiful week of the year coming up. It's called Holy Week and it starts today on Palm Sunday, sometimes known as the triumphal entry, because this is the day that King Jesus entered Jerusalem to take his throne in his crown. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. But what I want to talk about first is expectation management. Now, Everyone has to manage with this in their lives. We just had our first Growing Godly Marriages course during the week. That was amazing. Pietra and the team set it up. Eleven couples. Troy and Jeannie came shared with us. Beautiful time. And one of the things that we love and in investing into our couples is helping them with expectation management. That is, when you just started dating and the romance level is here, you're like, oh, it's amazing. But the reality level is here. And you're like, this is what life is like. It's like, no, it's not. You're on the Easter camp of dates. Like you just, your your adrenaline level is sky high. And you will get home and you will wake up in the morning and have to do some dishes and wonder if like the world's crumbling around you. And it's not, you just have to do dishes. It's, It's balancing that out. That's part of managing expectations. It's not about bringing all our expectations down. It's just about thinning the gap between where reality is and where our expectations should be. Now, you've all experienced this before. You've all had times where you've gone to an event or you've experienced something and you thought, whoa, this was way better than I expected, even if it was great. So I went to my wedding going, this is going to be the best day of my life, and it genuinely was, and it exceeded my expectations, like this is amazing. And I remember having the same, I mean, movies. Like, I'm going to talk about movies. I've got to be me. Uh, the, I remember having the same sort of experience um, when I went to see, for, um, for example, Looper. If, has anyone seen the movie Looper before? Bruce Willis movie, great, great fleet. But I went there knowing nothing about it and going, ah, oh, it could be anything. And I walked out going, that was sensational. Uh, same thing with the movie Parasite. Tex and I went to see Parasite together going, ah, a Korean movie, uh, this could be, I don't know, it could be a vibe. And we walked out going, that might be the best movie we've ever seen in my life. Conversely, I remember taking a bunch of friends to see Mystic River and then walking out afterwards going, I'm so sorry. It was, it was supposed to be good? I don't know. I remember watching Titanic last year and going, oh, and that won an Oscar, really? Okay, okay. Yeah, I knew that wouldn't win, friends, I don't care. It's not good. It's not good. <laughs> um, more, more specifically, the new Star Wars movies. I went to The Force Awakens. I was like, oh, that was better than I expected. Then I went to The Last Jedi. I was like, oh, that was truly terrible. And then I went to The Rise of Skywalker. I was like, I am just numb with pain now. Like, I don't feel emotion anymore. <laughs> I, I, don't know whether, I don't know what bad is anymore. This, this is There's a thing where we have our expectations and they get exceeded where we have our expectations and they get undercut, and then when we have our expectations and they get totally subverted in a way that is actually exceeding them, but it feels like it's undercutting them. That's what I want to talk about today. Because that is at the center of what happens on Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry. Now, today is called Palm Sunday because in the Gospels, the people welcome Jesus into Jerusalem by waving branches. And specifically in John's Gospel, they're referred to as palm fronds. So often uh, in different traditions, in the Coptic, the Egyptian Coptic tradition, they weave together love hearts and crosses out of palm fronds and they lay them at the front of the church as a symbol of peace and of welcoming King Jesus into our hearts. Isn't that beautiful? And this is part of what it means to be part of Palm Sunday. In Luke, in fact, is this the one that we read, it's the only version without branches because Luke has been drawing a story together and he's less focused on the detail of the branches than he is on the story that he's now bringing to a conclusion because the entirety of Luke's gospel, just like Matthew, just like Mark, John, slightly different, has been pointing towards the coming of Jesus to Jerusalem. This one city... Now, Jesus is for everyone. How many of you were born in Jerusalem? Show of hands. Show of hands. That's what I thought. Harry, I don't believe you. And so and so we know that Jesus is for the world. Yet for some reason, this city, Jerusalem, matters so critically. Matters so critically. So Jesus, uh, Luke brings him to this point Jesus has been saying I'm going to Jerusalem this is where we have to go he's been telling his disciples three times he's going to be crucified and that he will rise again there they don't understand and then he comes to the Mount of Olives and he pauses up there gazing down at Jerusalem like a king surveying his kingdom and he mounts his trusted seed a donkey not a cult just just a little not a cult joke there for you that's fine we're not a cult nervous laughter continues (laughs) um continuing he mounts his trusted seed gathers his followers and to the sound of cheers from the crowds he enters jerusalem it is just like a roman emperor entering a conquered territory so the king of israel enters the capital city surrounded by friends and with the cheering of supporters in his ears what a moment so why a week later was he crucified it's pretty good right everything seems to be going to plan Here he is, overlooking the city. Why was Jesus crucified? Doesn't make sense based on what we're reading there. If everybody was cheering for Jesus, if he was the king entering his kingdom, then why was he killed one short week later? Let's go sideways for a second. Jesus fulfilled many prophecies during his time on earth, but he also fulfilled these archetypes. There are these three archetypes in Jewish culture, the prophet, the priest, and the king. Now, the prophet, the priest, and the king were these three roles that worked together. The prophets, and they had crucial leadership positions, but they worked together in cohesion, almost a bit like the Trinity. The prophets were the mouthpiece of God to the people. They called the Israelites towards God by showing them their own sin. They were not popular either, just in case you're wondering. They had an uncanny ability to see glimpses of the future, and they often perform miracles through the power of God. So you think of Elijah or Moses. Moses parts the Red Sea. Elijah uh, uh, calls down fire from heaven uh, and, and begins a, uh, a, a rain coming and ending a drought. These are the sort of miraculous events that surrounded prophets. The priests, though, were the mediators between God and his people. Mouthpiece, a mediator. They called the Israelites towards God by entering the holy place in the temple and the high priest entered the holiest of holies and by sprinkling the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat to atone for the people's sins. They also had to live pure and holy lives as a living example for God. So famous priests might include Aaron or Samuel. And then there were the kings. The kings were the monarchs, the rulers of the people under the hand of God. They called the Israelites towards God by ruling in righteousness and with strength and equity and justice. They were appointed by God to lead the people as if they represented God. So think David or Solomon. These are famous characters in the overarching story of the Bible in the Old Testament and the three major roles, prophet, priest, and king. But Jesus not only filled those roles, he fulfilled them he was a prophet he was a priest he was the king he was the archetype but he was also the original he was the true prophet the true priest the true king let me show you how we know this sort of things in the transfiguration for example we looked at that a couple of weeks ago you remember yes we all remember because if we weren't here we listened to the podcast oh, you guys are good and jesus is shown at that time as the ultimate prophet he appears in glory, it says, with Moses and Elijah. Now, when you're standing with Moses and Elijah, that builds credibility. They were the two most prominent, most famous prophets, and so Jesus standing with them builds credibility. Then his glory, the fullness of his character, is revealed, and it's shine. he is like God in that moment. His divinity is revealed, and then the voice of God affirms and blesses Jesus. You get it all coming together in this one moment. Jesus is the true prophet. You with me? Yeah, yeah, come on, come on. You with me? Good, good. You might not be, but I need you to say yes in that moment. But in this passage, he's not showing that he's the true prophet. He's showing that he's the true king. This is all about royalty, the kingship of Jesus. Like all kings in that time, he's about to enter a city which he has conquered, and Jesus is surrounded by his army of followers. He's mounted on a steed. He looks down from high. He's greeted with joy by the citizens. But at the same time... When we read, when we listen to this passage, it's not really what it says, is it? Like that's, you can extrapolate that, but that's not really what it says. This is what it says. Jesus is surrounded by his disciples, people devoted to a life of service and being people of peace, not warfare. The steed he is mounted on is not a war horse, but a young donkey fulfilling a prophecy made by Zechariah more than 500 years earlier. The citizens who greet him are genuine, but they're speaking about him in a highly unusual way that's causing the religious leaders to go, whoa, you should not let them speak like that. And when he looks down at Jerusalem, which he's conquering not with an army, but with a vision, a vision of what the world should be like, called the kingdom of God, he looks down on it and he doesn't gloat over his conquered opponents. He weeps for the hearts that he sees in the city broken for the brokenness he sees, and more than that, for the unrepentant spirits, for the people who sit in the city and will see the king and will never bow down to the royalty. There's a problem here, church, in what's going on there. Jesus is not a normal king. He's not a normal king. Here is what a normal king looks like. In the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, which is one of the history books of the Old Testament, The Israelites have taken the promised land and Samuel is leading the people as the high priest and judge over Israel, but he's getting old. Relatable. So in verse four, this is what we read. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you're old. Rude. And your sons do not follow your ways. Tough. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. Let's read that last sentence again. Appoint a king to lead us such as the other nations have. Do you know what made Israel special? God. Only God. God was their king. They never had a different ruler. They had judges. They had leaders. They never had a king like all, like all the other nations because they had God they had God to tell them to lead them to show them where to go and what to do they had the king they needed and they said we do not want to be special we want to be just like everybody else any Christian in this room ever felt that way in a group of people like ah can I just be like everybody else today and not be all that Christian today is that right can I just yell at somebody on the road and not feel bad about it is that, that alright can I just sort of like, ignore my kids for a while and watch Netflix can I, can I just be like that didn't see any hands that time but i'll keep going see samuel at the time was the equivalent to their king but he was accountable to god because he was the high priest so he had to go into the holiest of holies to make sacrifices once a year he had to make sacrifices on behalf of the people which means that if he was not right in the same in the sight of god he's dead bang it's that simple that was what samuel lived under do you know what that does it breeds accountability Like a little healthy dose of fear directed the right way does breed accountability. It is not a bad thing for your children to fear you just a tiny bit, just enough to actually like not run on the road when you yell stop. It's that sort of thing that actually breeds healthy boundaries, healthy accountability. The Israelites are saying they don't want to be special. They don't want God as their king. And Samuel's furious about this, but God, as he often does, is gracious enough to give them what they want he tells samuel now listen to them this is verse nine but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights so samuel goes back and he tells them this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights he goes on for a while so bear with me he will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses and they will run in front of his chariots he's going to conscript them into the army some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties. Oh, prestige. And others to plow his gra- ground and reap his harvest. Oh, okay, that's, that's less good. And still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. Oh, so all my sons will serve him at what he wants. Yes, that's what the king will do. He goes on. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. Sarah's like, that's not so bad. And he will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. wait, 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 wait. So he's going to take a tithe, but he's just going to give it to his favorite people. That's right. Oh, so the tithe that we bring to the temple anyway? Yes. Instead of going to the temple, it'll go to the government, and the government will give it out to their preferred bureaucrats. Insert political cynicism here. I'm going to keep moving. <laughs> your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king that you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. Why? Because God gives you what you want. The grace and horror of God at times is that he will turn you over to your own desires and say, if that's what you really want, I won't stand in your way. And it is a horrifying thing when this happens. So he lets them know all of that. And naturally, the people were like, oh... I didn't realize that, and so their response, as you'd expect, is, no, we still want a king. Because humanity. We want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. Like, didn't like, haven't you heard the song, like, this is how we fight my battles. They haven't, they haven't heard that yet. It hasn't been written. So they're like, we want a king to do it. Samuel's so mad, he, hears, he heard all that before the people. He repeats it before the Lord. And in verse 22, the Lord answered, Listen to them and give them a king. This is what they want. Now, it's not too bright. And it's easy to listen to all of this. And with the benefit of hindsight, and if you've read the Old Testament and gone, Oh, you know, like eight out of nine kings sucked, right? Like terrible, terrible kings. It's easy to see that and go, These people are idiots. But it's very human, profoundly stupid profoundly human. Hundreds of years later, Jesus comes along. Why do they kill him? Weren't they waiting for a king? These are the same people. These are the Israelites that say, we want a king. That's all we want. Bring him along. That's what we're after. We want someone to rule over us. Come on. Jesus comes along. The king's there. They're cheering. Hosanna to the son of David. The king's here. And then seven days later, they are cheering, crucify him. What is it about the human heart? When Jesus came, church, they, uh, they wanted a king, but they didn't want a king like this. they have been waiting for a Messiah, a Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ isn't Jesus' last name. It means anointed one. Another word is Messiah. Another word is Savior, the anointed one of God. They were waiting for God's chosen one to come and free them they saw the Romans as their oppressors and the kings ruling over them and said we need freedom from that so we can claim our land back and be the people of Israel here and Jesus came and he did the opposite of just about everything instead of war he brought peace instead of power he brought humility instead of strength he brought service instead of life for them as they perceive it he brought death to himself on a cross they didn't want this sort of king Jesus was not the king they wanted so how about you Who's the king you want? Not the king you say you want when the pastor asks you on a Sunday. Who's the king you really want? Because in the depths of our hearts and in times of trial and trouble, we discover the king we truly want. We discover what we're really, really after. And here's the thing. You and I are no different to the Israelites who demanded a king from Samuel and crucified the true king when he came. We are fooling ourselves if we think that some of those same people shouting Hosanna as Jesus walks into Jerusalem were not some of the same people screaming crucify him seven days later. We are kidding ourselves if we think they weren't and we are kidding ourselves if we believe that we aren't any different. We might want to, be, say, we might want to believe that we're the people shouting Hosanna and maybe that's true but some of those people were also shouting crucify him doesn't always work as simply as we want it to we are not evolved geniuses in a new generation we are the same humans making the same mistakes with the same sin creeping up inside of us challenging our hearts turning us away from the lordship of jesus and god in his mercy gives us what we want what do you want church what do you want because jenny's right (laughs) this is this is a new, new thing coming. God is building something new. With a new time, look, 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 at this. Even, uh, even my microphone's cutting out, honestly. It's been a fascinating week for spiritual attack. That wasn't Troy, I assume. <laughs> but it, it's a fascinating week for spiritual attack. All sorts of strange things are happening. You know it because it's happening in your life. Because you contact me, if, if I'm lucky, you contact me to say, I desperately need prayer. People like Adelaide who are brave enough to reach out for prayer. I only say that because she did it publicly. That's what we need to do. Most of us are convinced the battle is ours alone. The greatest trick the enemy is pulling in our lifetime is to tell us that this battle is for us and we shouldn't burden other people. That is a lie from the enemy. You are here in this room, not to listen to me, but to be the people of God to each other. The ministry comes when we recognize that the enemy is whispering lies in your ears about how to manage all your problems. We manage it by unburdening it with other people, not to dump, but to share. And we receive their burdens back in return. And we share that, and that is the people of God, with the Spirit of God working through us, building up the church. That is the church in action. That is how the kingdom of God expands. It's not just through me saying stuff. It's through us doing stuff through our faith. And the faith comes in humility. That's a Jesus-modeled faith. It's not a king who comes over the top to tell us what to do, but a king who comes under and serves us, the king who washes his disciples' feet. That is the king we serve. That's the difference. But we don't want that king. In my opinion, feel free to disagree, and I'm sure some of you do. In my opinion, there are three kinds of kings that we look for. All right. If you've seen the movie Black Panther, just to go to movies again, but a bit more mainstream. Three kings. First one, T'Chaka, the father. He represents tradition, stability. Now, we say we, we, say we want a lot of things. But when push comes to shove, when we're under pressure, we, we fall back to what we're doing. We fall back to what we have always known. That's unchanging conservatism. And the second one, Killmonger, represents upheaval and social violence. In his case, physical violence. But often it's social violence. Social media warriors. In that, I see blind progressivism. People who go, we need to move forward without considering the consequences. And then there's a third kind, T'Challa, the Black Panther himself, you would think the good king. Eh, eh. He represents questioning and balance and inactive centrism. What I'm trying to say here is not to critique any of our political parties in Australia. I don't care enough about, I, I do, but I'm, I'm not here to talk about that. What I'm here to say is every political system we set up is doomed to fail in one way or another, okay? That doesn't mean we, should, doesn't mean we shouldn't have democracy. Please, I'm very grateful for democracy. But it means that we cannot put all our trust in the system because that king will let us down. If you voted for Scott Morrison and he's ever done something you didn't like, your, your king has let you down. If you're gonna, about to vote for Albo and then he does something you don't like, your king will let you down. Only one king will not, and that is Jesus. But the cost is high. Don't clap till you heard the cost. Because the king that Samuel talks about, Samuel says, he'll come, he'll take your sons, he'll take your daughters, he'll make them work for him. It's like, oh, that's a lot. He'll ask for a tenth of what you want, of what you earn. Oh, that's quite a lot. Jesus doesn't ask for that. He asks for everything. He wants all of your life, all of your heart, all of your mind, your emotions, your intellect, your trust, your faith. He wants you to trust him and his word. He wants you to be open to him and his spirit. And he says, instead of coming and going out and doing something where you win, I want you to lose. What do you mean? If someone attacks you for your beliefs, hand them your coat. Give them your other cheek. Pray for them. Do not persecute back, but kneel and serve. This is the way of Jesus. This is the way of Jesus. The true king comes to serve, riding on a donkey in humility to die. Which king do you want? Because you can choose whichever you like. You can choose whichever king you want. Jesus doesn't want some of your sons and daughters, he wants them all. Not the best of your work, all of it. It doesn't mean he wants you all to be pastors. We don't have the budget for that. It means that whatever job you do, you are missionaries in that space on behalf of God. That doesn't mean that every word you speak is telling people about Jesus, but it means the way you live your life is centered around and through the person of Jesus and the Holy Spirit working in you, and that transforms things. That transforms things. Jesus doesn't want part of your life. It all belongs to Him. We didn't make it. We didn't earn it. It's all at the mercy of the true king, and that's a frightening thought, but here's where it's different. Jesus can demand everything because it belongs to him, but he doesn't do it that way. The true king, rather than demanding things from us so that he can rule, instead gives us all of himself so that we might live. His sacrifice enables life now and forever in eternity with him. The true king is full of justice and righteousness and strength the true king demands everything but serves everyone he dies to himself to serve everyone now, i think it's fascinating watching somebody like queen elizabeth the two the the two the second <laughs> it's a street name <laughs> huey the two they call her lil qi <laughs> i feel like i've uh sidetracked it way too much but it's interesting watching queen elizabeth as she it comes to the end of her life as a follower of jesus right and she's a serious follower of jesus who has devoted her life to serving her country now you can argue it's functional you can argue it's unnecessary i don't care her life is being devoted to serving a cause that is greater than her that's the challenge of the follower of jesus the challenge of selecting this king is you don't just get to vote for someone else for the next election The challenge of voting for this king is when you were at home eating your breakfast in the morning, that king is speaking to you. The challenge of selecting this king is when you come to your darkest moments and your instinct tells you, I want what I want right now. That will satisfy me. The true king comes in and says, just just let me by my spirit speak to you another way because you think this will satisfy you now, but in the long term you will die. But I want a king now, but it's going to kill you. If I give you what you want, it will kill you. The only way to give you life is to take some of what you want, that is your desires, and give them to me, to trust me with them, to give them back to you. And that death we were talking about, let let me manage that. Let me take on the death for you. Jesus looked over Jerusalem and wept as their king because he knew he was going to be murdered there by the very people we'd come to save. And I've got to tell you, Man, I'll, I'll just do this because we're real in encounter. Sometimes I feel like that as a pastor. I feel like I'm reaching out to people and desperately following them up. I'm like, oh, have, have people been welcoming you? Oh, not really. Okay. Oh, it's sad because they were welcomed when they walked through the door. Um, like, how are you going? Crickets, just ghosting because it's easier than communication. Ministry is kind of a series of unhealed wounds one after the other. But we do it because the calling placed upon us is to love and serve the people. That's really hard sometimes. It's been pretty hard this week. But it's been pretty good too. We had this uh, moment on Wednesday. Jenny and I had, had this massive fight on Tuesday. You're welcome, internet. You can keep that. This is, uh, by the way, this is how life works. Uh, husbands and wives, you will still have fights once you're married. We've never had a fight. That's a problem. We'll talk about that in counselling. <laughs> We had this massive fight and then uh, it came into Wednesday and we we're both in kind of a, like, you know, it was, re- it was resolved, but we were, weren't in the best mood. And then a bunch of bad stuff happened in a bunch of different ways. And we got to Wednesday night and Jenny was going out for dinner and a meeting and I was going to growing godly marriages and we we're both just like, ah, this sucks. I wonder, uh, wonder if there's any openings in, like, you know, the garbage bin industry, like just picking up bins, putting them in. Sounds pretty good. Cruise around, a bit of fresh air. Sort of. <laughs> and, uh, and we just had these experiences where the Holy Spirit just met us. And one of them for Jamie, she had an experience where somebody was just talking about how deeply this church is important to them. And it just, just caught her. She needed that in that moment. And I sort of walked in. I was preparing stuff for growing God in marriages, doing stuff in the kitchen. And I sort of walked out. And I just saw 11 couples just pouring out over candlelight into each other, pouring out their relationship, saying, I, I, whether we know how to do it well or poorly, Jesus is at the center of this and we want this. And this is a space we were able to facilitate through the grace of God in this church. And again and again, the more we opened up, the more we saw the Holy Spirit moving. And the more we sensed the Spirit just, just messing us up. We had like this pretty terrible prayer meeting on Thursday night until like 10 minutes to go. And then Harry and I were just going off with the spirit of God. It was pretty weird, wasn't it, mate? It was just, but something was happening. Something is happening. And when you serve the true king, these things begin to happen that don't seem natural. Do you know why? They're supernatural. They're divine. The king is coming and he's bringing you gifts. We call them spiritual gifts. He is bringing you gifts. He's bringing you hope. He's bringing you faith. He's bringing you love. He's bringing you a future. He is bringing you redemption through the cost of his life because the true king comes not to be served, but to serve. That is the way of Jesus. And if you're here, church, and band, you guys can come back up. If you're here and, and Christianity is either foreign or uncomfortable to you, I, actually, I really get it. Uh, we have done throughout generations a pretty appalling job in a lot of ways as following Jesus we betrayed him again and again nothing worse than the child sex scandals that's there is nothing worse than that but plenty of other things trying to put their hand up to rival it it's not great there's a lot of times where I engage with the culture around us and I hear the rage they have towards followers of Jesus and there is real rage and I think yeah what do you say This is what Jesus said. Let me take that on myself. Let me take your rage, your sorrow, your pain on myself. I'm not going to fight you. I'll tell you if I think I need to speak truth to power, that was part of his prophetic action. But I will not fight you. Instead, I will take the fight on me. Do you know why he could do that? Because he was God. And he knew like only he could know what the end looked like. He said, the end, I've been there. I am the son of God. I'm fully human, fully God. I've been to the end. I've seen what happens at the end of the movie. And guess what? If you can just get past this stretch, the end is flawless. They stick the landing. The twist, you're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe it. Friday's going to look bad in the movie, but the Sunday twist is something else. And so Jesus can do all of this, hear the cheers of the crowds, then hear the screams of the crowds, and either way say to the Father, not my will, but yours. And in one sentence, if you want to know how to follow King Jesus, the true King over all creation, the only true King, not one of many, one and one alone, one of one, it is in that sentence not my will God but yours. Now as we go into this next season of life uh, as a church, there's going to be a bunch of things that are uncomfortable. We will be in a new building. Promise. That's uncomfortable for some people. Some people are very excited. Others are uncomfortable. A lot of the other stuff, we don't know if we'll keep the same service time. We don't know if we'll be able to. We'll see. We don't know what the setup will be like. We don't know what it will we don't know a whole lot about how we, we want to do this because we want to take it as an opportunity to reboot and refresh and invite the presence of God to shape us again because we don't want to be about what we did last time. We want to be about God's new thing that he's doing right now. Amen? Future focused church. Who wants to be part of a church that has already died in their hearts and is just functioning? Anybody? There are, there are a few if you'd like. That's not who we're going to be. And in fact, I repent of that statement. I don't, I don't mean to take pot shots at other ch- churches. We will never be that church. We will die with the change we have to make rather than live with the death that we have. We will die with the future we need to walk into rather than live with a functionality that goes nowhere. Jesus has come, He is alive and he's beckoning you forth into his kingdom, into life. I get how hard life can be sometimes. And the temptation for us as a church, we're coming to our fourth birthday. That's when we're going to celebrate. Our fourth birthday is our first week in the new building. It is a new time. Four years old, we get to refresh and reboot and reconsider again what it means to be the people of God. But the temptation for all of us is that most of us are just kind of four years on from where we were and we're in positions, so many of us, we're having kids or we're getting married. And those are settled down moments in life. And the temptation is to pull back. But God wants us to fire up. Don't pull back. Paul says it this way, we are not the kind who shrink back and are destroyed, but the kind who press on. We are sons, we are daughters. And in that, we refuse to live ordinary lives. We refuse to just deal with an ordinary baseline life. But instead, we invite the extraordinary, the supernatural, the presence of God to evade who we are and break through. My invitation to you tonight is to say once again, my King is Jesus. It's a bold statement. It is a life-changing statement. If you do it with your heart and with your mouth, you are doing two things. Number one, you are declaring that Jesus is Lord and King. That is saying you are putting your life into the hands of Jesus. He is your savior. And if you haven't done that before, that would mean now you're a Christian, which would be a really cool thing. And if you have done it before, you, you know what's about to happen. You're convicting your own heart. You're allowing God to cut you to the heart cut you right to the heart maybe you were here when we launched this church and that was a moment for you that's four years in the past you need another moment you need to be pursuing the presence of God again this is what God wants I can promise you that I can promise you God wants you to be uncomfortable God wants you to be sacrificing God wants to be laying, you to be laying stuff down. God wants to be, you, you to be moving in spaces that you don't have control over because then when we're a little out of control, the Spirit scoops us up and works through us. We can give it over to God. Why don't we, why don't we pray? Oh, no, no. i tell you what. i tell you what. Let me just give you something to think about and then I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship. It'd be very fair to go, okay, Mike, Sure, I need to choose Jesus again. Okay, you've said it before. I, I have, I have. Uh, but this time I think, I think God's actually doing something very new. I, I think God is ending a moment, ending an era. It's been funny how many weird little things have just happened over the last couple of weeks that it's like the building itself is trying to kick us out. Like, like we are the, like a possessed occupant in here and the building's get out, you know, like it really wants us out. <laughs> I, I don't, don't take that too literally, Okay. <laughs> But it feels like the end of an era it really does feel that way and at the end of an era you draw a line in the sand i think there are four ways you can do it you can work out what god wants to do with your time that is how do you use your time to serve jesus i don't mean the sense that you're working and and that's for the glory of god it is but how else what do you do with the rest of your time what about your talents what about the gifts and graces you have are you incredibly gifted at worship but you've been leaving it there because you just kind of don't want it? Or you're afraid? Let's bring it up here. Are you somebody who has an incredible gift of hospitality, but you haven't stepped out because you don't want to make a coffee? There are other spaces to be hospitable. Let's bring it out. You might be somebody who needs to sow into the next generation of children. You might be somebody who needs to reach people online and only you have the gifts and talents. These are areas we need, the talents of the church. Or maybe... Most Westerners, it's your treasures, it's your finance. they are like, I'll give everything, just not my money. It's "It's not an idol, though. Absolutely not, I'm sure. (laughs) I will never go tap you on the shoulder personally about that. But if you're a follower of Jesus and you're not giving money to the church, I would challenge you to ask yourself why. And then I would challenge you to bring that to God for the answer. Not to me, but not to you either. Bring that to God. That would be my challenge. I don't like that. Okay, you don't have to. I'm just telling you what God would want. And the last one and the biggest one is your heart. God wants your heart. All that other stuff flows out of that. If you do that and God doesn't have your heart, the other stuff doesn't matter. It's functional. God needs your heart in order that the rest of your life flow out of that because if you give your time, your talents and your treasures to Jesus but he hasn't captured your heart with his joy, his mercy, his love for you then you will do that out of function and because of out of obligation and you'll become bitter but if you do the same things out of a heart devoted for Jesus all of those will become joys the joy of the Lord is your strength that's what you need to have in you now here's what I want to encourage you with as we respond at the end of the book of Joshua And I am finishing. The end of the book of Joshua. The people have come into the land, and Joshua gathers them all together before he sends them off to their different areas. And he says, "Right, we are at the end of this moment. I am about to die. I've done my job. I've brought you into the land. You all have your land. Now hear this: Choose this day who you will serve. Choose this day. It's what John Tyson calls the grand gesture. There is a line in the sand moment." right down the middle i won't tell you which side's which there's a line in the sand moment let's say it's down here in this church to say choose this day who you will follow now i know how it might sound like it's a mike and jen thing it is not a mike and jen thing this is a jesus thing we all must choose this day who we follow do we choose life or do we choose death do we choose the desires of our hearts how's that been going for us by the way really well or do we choose the life that is countercultural but gives us true fullness of life? As I was praying this morning, that's the challenge I sense God had for his people this morning. From Joshua, it's Palm Sunday. We're pointing to a new king, a true king. Choose this day who you should follow. Who is it going to be? I'm going to pray, and then I, I want to invite people to respond. And uh, I want you to think carefully. And I want, if you're a follower of Jesus and you want to choose again to follow Jesus this morning, I'm going to invite you in a moment to put your hand up. Which means that if you're a leader in this room, I, I, I hope you put your hand up. But, but actually, it's more about giving you permission to do so. Okay? There is no obligation. But at the same time, I wanna let you know that this is for leaders. This is for people who follow Jesus all their lives. This is the line in the sand moment to go as we approach Easter, as we come to the end, question mark, of the last couple of years. There's a line in the sand moment to go, who do I wanna follow? The flip side is that if you've been here for a long time, you're like, you know what? This might be my way out. It actually might be. I can live with that. It'll hurt. That's part of ministry, but I can live with that. Desperate prayer is actually that you've been on the edge for a while and God's calling you deeper. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.